Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am really delighted to welcome Kathleen Marple Kelp to the podcast today. Kathleen grew up in front of a microphone and a keyboard, now a weekend morning anchor at 1010 WINS in New York. She started as a teenage DJ in Brookville, Pennsylvania. I can't wait to talk about it this part of her journey as well. She worked her way up through newsrooms in Pittsburgh, Vermont, and Connecticut, developing her skill and a deep and abiding distaste for snow (laughs) while she wrote her thankfully unpublished first historical novel at age 16. Fiction was firmly in the past until her son started kindergarten. After two years of querying, three failed projects, and 200 rejections, she's now the author of the Ella Shane Historical Mystery Series for Kensington Books, and soon as Nikki Knight, which is another name, uh, Live, Local, and Dead, a Vermont radio mystery from Crooked Lane. She, her husband, and son live in Connecticut uh, in a Connecticut house owned by their cat, which is a very appropriate thing for a mystery writer. Kathleen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to this conversation, uh, and we're going to talk about your writing, but I also just want to acknowledge that you're a DJ. You're, you've had success in another realm, which isn't necessarily as considered as creative, but it is. It's an outward, public-facing um, journey, and you're not the first... DJ or reporter or person in that realm. I'm, I'm an anchor. And these days I'm an anchor. I started as a DJ. And, but a lot of news people become writers because we write so much. I mean, what the, the dirty little secret of what I do is I spend three hours writing before I go on the air. Yeah, of course. Every day. And, you know, one of my favorite questions that people always ask is, do you believe there is such a thing as writer's block? And if I had writer's block at three in the morning, there would be no show at five. So, no, I don't believe in writer's block. I believe in sitting down and doing more. And uh, it, it's interesting, too, because in the reporters, I, you know, have interviewed Hank Philby Ryan. I've interviewed some other people for this yes. um, podcast. Because you're in the truth-telling world, is there some relief to being able to make stuff up as a mystery writer? Oh yeah, that's fun, uh, and it's it, for me anyway. And I can't speak for every journalist. Just to be being able to go in there and hand out just desserts and make sure the people who deserve a happy ending get one, and something bad happens to the villain, and all of that stuff. Oh yeah, that is fun because you don't get that in real life. Yeah, it's really. I think it's fascinating. It's also um, brave when you're known in that realm. I think to be willing to to publicly try another journey and try publicly try something else because you know when you're writing we're writing for ourselves but the minute you make attempts and it sounds like 200 rejections you made several (laughs) attempts to be a writer you know yeah to risk failure 
is is a brave thing after you've had 15 years of success. I was really actually pretty far into the whole querying thing before I even admitted to my newsroom friends that I wrote fiction. It was really, I think, um, probably about halfway through that I finally actually told one of my very good friends at work that, you know, I wrote this book and I'm trying to sell it and it's not going all that well, but I'm trying, I'm out there trying. And I kind of, I was afraid she would think less of me, think I was silly for writing fiction. And instead she is now my best beta reader and she is like, like was my first fan club. So, and, and I have friends at work who I told before, you know, and, and without exception, they have all been incredibly supportive and helpful. That's great. That's great. It is. It really is. It, I think it's like any, any workplace. And this is something I write about a lot. Any place where you work together and you get very tight and you have your, your work family and they really are. That's great. Um, Let's talk about your writing journey. I love that even in your bio, how honest you are about it. Um, and that, you know, you started, you wrote your first historical, and uh, we're going to talk about that a little too, because writing historicals is a, is a whole nother can of worms. But yeah. um, you wrote your first historical at 16, but you really didn't set out to write a novel until your son was a little bit older. So can you tell, yeah. and you'd obviously been writing as a news person for all those years, but can you tell me about that evolution into, you know, I am going to write that novel and what, why, why you were driven to do yeah, that? I I've been thinking, um, my first on-air job was in Vermont. This is a little background. I worked at a very, very small radio station in Springfield, Vermont, and basically learned how to be a journalist and a human and all kinds of things in those years in Springfield. And I always thought that there was a book in there somewhere mm -hmm. that it might, and, and over time being a mystery fan myself, um, Joan Hess is, Ma Joan Hess's Maggoty stories are one of my just all-time favorites and that kind of thing. I noodled about the idea of writing a mystery set in a little Vermont radio station for years. This was kind of in the back of my head. And then um, I'm a stay-at-home mom during the week. And then on the weekends, I work. Most of the time, I work weekends and fill in. And that's what I did when my son was very young. Um, my son is now 11. He was, at the time, very young. And I took a, took a stall so that I could be with him. I think a lot of women do that if they can. And I was lucky enough that I could. And when you have a job that you can do on weekends and odd hours, it's easier to take the salt. So I did. And toward the end of his preschool, I thought, you know, I'm going to have a few hours a day where I'm not chasing after this little creature and not responsible. And what am I going to do with those couple hours a day? And I thought, oh, heck, why don't I try writing that book I've been thinking about for 20 years? And so I did. And I came up with the, the original version of the Vermont Radio Mystery, not the one that's coming out from Crooked Lane, um, but they came up with the original version and finished it and started querying and people read it and nobody bought it and nobody signed me, but it was a good try. Mm -hmm. And I, and I worked on some other stuff and eventually, um, the Ella Shane series, which was actually my third project that I tried, I got signed for. So, so and this is, I mean, obviously showing some dedication and some drive, and we're going to talk about the Crooked Lane series, which is more your, you know, not your life, but it's it's a familiarity with what your life experience. It's more based on what I've done. Yeah, I mean, I I know Simpson, Vermont is not Springfield, Vermont, but it looks a lot like it, and there's a lot of, and it's a lot like where I worked. Yeah. Uh, but the first series is a historical series, and what, what's the period yes. that it's set? It's set in 1899, um, Gilded Age, New York, 
and it and it takes place mostly in and around Washington Square, which is um, Washington Square is my Zoom background, and I have Washington Square things all over the place. Um, it's the main character is Ella Shane, who is known for singing trouser roles, which are heroic male roles played by women, which gives her the ability to be to to fence and chase villains and do all kinds of things that a nice lady in 1899 wouldn't do. And Ella, unlike your average opera diva, who's a very proper and, and um, you know, pedigreed person, Ella's a Lower East Side kid made good. Um, her mother was Jewish, her father was Irish, and they died when she was very young. And she was taken in by her her her, uh, her aunt's Irish family. And she grew up in a scruffy Irish Catholic home in on the Lower East Side with her cousin Tommy, who was a boxer, and not the marrying kind, which means exactly what you think it does. And... The, the two of them, Tommy became an extraordinarily good boxer and Ella was a singer. And the two of them now in 1899 live together and solve mysteries. Oh, that's wonderful. So. Um, that period is such a, an amazing uh, period for so many mysteries right now. Um, it is. It really is. So when you set out, you know, you said that you wrote your first historical uh, when you were in sixth grade. Was it the Gilded Age there as well? Was it? Is it something no. about historicals that sort of drove you in? I've always been a history buff. I'm just a massive history buff in general. And the thing I wrote when I was a kid, when I was when I was a teenager, was about the mystery of about Tsar Nicholas and did, did anybody escape and did anybody live and all that whole thing. Uh, because I was just fascinated with the mystery. You know, it happened in 1918 and we still don't know. And, you know, oh my goodness. And of course, now we do know because now 20 years later, we know what happened. But at that time, we didn't know. And it was um, it was just a fascinating thing for me to kind of th- uh, kind of kind of, you know, insert a character, a couple of characters in there and have them try to save him. And they didn't. And it was a mess. And it was a spectacular mess of a book. I want you to know. <laughs> but I actually did get a couple of editors to read it um, at 16. <laughs> And um, then I went to college and, you know, life took over. But I never forgot how much I loved to write. And was it always mysteries for you or was it? uh, Yes. And so what what, what brought you to the mystery world? Well, you can blame my grandfather for that. He was a self-educated guy. Uh, He he didn't get to go to college because he had to support his family. So he was a self-educated guy and a glass company exec. And he tried, he read very serious stuff most of the time, except he had a soft spot for detective fiction. And so I would sneak out, I would, I would steal grandpa's Agatha Christie's and, and he had a whole collection of Rex Stout and Dick Francis cause he liked the ponies. And I would just borrow my grandfather's mysteries. And, um, honestly, the, there was one day when I, I, I remember I must've been seven or eight and I was on my grandfather's, look at my grandfather's bookshelves and I saw something with something Miss Marple book. And I thought, Oh my gosh, there's somebody named Miss Marple. Who's not me. <laughs> Cause that, I grew up as Kathleen Marple and I grabbed that book and I was hooked. I mean, Dame Agatha got me. So, you know, and, and, and it was just borrowing my grandpa's books. That's awesome. Well, and you know, when we talk about your publishing life, let's talk about Miss Marple as your, as being your real name and, and how that could be tricky. Um, but let's talk about writing in general. How did you develop your craft over from 16 to when your son is five? How did you sort of figure out how to write a novel? Did you take classes? Did you mentor? I've read mysteries. I, I have a five book a week habit when I'm not working, five or six book a week habit. And I would read, I read everywhere. 
um, just like my son does. And I have to hang out to the back of his hood while he's walking down the street reading. Um, <laughs> I, do, I do the same thing. I mean, I always have a book in my hands or at this point, a Kindle sometimes. And I'm always reading. And, and for many years, what I was always reading was a mystery by somebody, um, Elizabeth Peters or Joan Hess or Dorothy Sayers. Um, Vermont is actually where I discovered Dorothy Sayers because they were out of new books. And some and when any and a librarian said, "Well, we're out of new mysteries, but why don't you try Dorothy Sayers?" So that then I then I did, and so I've all and so you can't read that much without getting a sense of structure and what works and what doesn't. And I'm also very analytical. I, when I read, I, I notice as, as a news person, you have to as well because you know this the headline may not work. You know you got to make sure you have a very limited amount of time to get the point across and. You have to you have a, have a very strong sense of what works, and so the two things kind of synergized on each other. And I had the writing skills from you know I've, I've been stringing sentences together since I was probably you know in sixth grade or so, and the, all the things kind of worked. Each one fed on the other. And did you have to unlearn some of your news writing yes. world because you, you oh, yeah. need to add, you know, you're, you're trying to write a news story that's two minutes and has everything in it. Right. And yes. You're trying to write a 80,000 word novel. It's a, it's, you have to add all that stuff back in. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, at first it was kind of difficult, the writing, writing some scenes. And then I, I think actually it helped being at writing historicals because you read it, you read an historical with certain accept, expect, expectations. There's sort of an expectation that you will always, at least if it's interesting, you will always know what everyone is wearing. For example, um, you know, there's there's that expectation of what they, you know, what I think of as clothing porn, you know, and and uh, scenery stuff, and you need that. And so, so writing the historical probably was a great experience, a much better experience for me as a writer. Because I had got to use all that useless information that I gathered from all the history books I'd read <laughs> over the years. And so, what's your process like? And is it different for the two series? Because the other series, the new series from Crooked Lane, is the contemporary, correct? Contemporary. So, yeah. do you have a different process yeah. for them, or do you do you write the same way, or what's your process like? I get the beginning and the end first, and then work my way into the middle. Every I know everybody's different. But I know how I want to start a story and where it should end, and then and usually I'm I'm I, would, I call myself a semi pantser, which sounds like one of my son's books. But um, I get the big scenes, you know, the opening and the closing, and a couple of the big scenes in the middle, and then I sit down and I write a, a very a, a first a short synopsis and then something more comprehensive, so I know the roadmap to get get there, and then I knit it all together at the end. But the only and it's no different for either the historical or the contemporary. Although sometimes I'll have to research something to see if something that I want to do was something I could yes. do with the historical. You know, could I have a phone call? Could could somebody make a phone call that would set something off in 1899? Yes, they could, but probably people wouldn't spend very long on the phone because it was such a new thing then. Um, but the only real difference with the historical and the contemporary is that I try very hard not to work on the two things at the same time because I don't, because Ella's voice is very different than Jay's. Ella is, I don't want to say she's had an easier life because this whole, the whole awful things that have happened to her on the Lower East Side as a kid, but she doesn't have the kind of life experiences that, that the main character in the, the Jay, the main character in the story, in the uh, contemporary story does. You know, she hasn't, she doesn't have a child. She hasn't been divorced. She hasn't, 
helped her husband through a serious illness only to have him divorce her. There's all this, you know, kinds of stuff that Jay had, that Jay has gone through that Ella has not. And so I don't want to mix the two voices. And the historical so. um, mysteries are interesting because you, people who read historicals and people who write, read historical mysteries, there's an intersection there, but there's a demand for attention to detail and for accuracy. Yes. Whereas in yes. contemporaries, you can kind of make stuff up. How's that? Do you enjoy that? I mean, does that feature, is that from your reporter's brain? Yeah, it, it, it is. I, I really enjoy reading. Um, I enjoy the research. The research is a lot of fun for me. Um, I actually write a weekly blog over with fun facts of stuff that I turned up as I was doing research. And sometimes the most fun I have all week is writing that weekly blog. Um, and it's really great to be able to nail down something that maybe you, that it, that it may even be the thing that turns the story that you didn't um, actually expect in, in the first Ella book. Um, I knew I wanted the, the wanted the, the murder to the, possibly to use a poisoning, but I wasn't sure what kind of poisoning or how it would be administered. And the way that that takes place, I had to do a lot of research on it. And it was really interesting. And I learned a lot about stuff because it, it drew me into something that gave one of the other characters a lot to do. And so it was a lot. It was it ended up being a much bigger deal than, you know, should I kill him with with nicotine or arsenic? It ended up being a much bigger deal than that. And it was really a lot of fun. Yeah, it's so interesting. I, I'm um, I'm sort of reading a lot of Gilded Age error novels right now, and it's it's. I'm yeah. so grateful I don't live didn't live then. I mean, you know, because yeah. the stays and the clothes and while beautiful, I think it was must have been miserable. But there, it's a really rich time. It is, but it's also there's also a lot of um, classism and a lot of prejudice yeah. and. Ella runs into a lot of this because she's half Jewish and, um, and she also runs into a lot because of her cousin who is, who is everybody knows he's gay, but nobody, right. but because he's a boxing champ, nobody would ever think anything of it or say anything about it because he'll break their jaw. So there's a, there's a, that whole class prejudice thing is just baked into this. That, and so we, I, I can't not address that. And there's also some of the, there's a great scene or in one of my favorite scenes in finale, the first one where a British Duke is visiting at Ella's house and her cousin, Tommy and their, their friend, the priest who was also Irish are there. And she introduces the British Duke to the priest and the pre and the Duke says to the priest and they, there's, it's an uncomfortable meeting. And the Duke says, it's the Irish question, isn't it father? And father Michael says, with all due respect, for us, it's not a question. It's your grandfather letting my grandmother die in the road. And it has to be said. And they, these two characters end up being friends, and they do because they get it out there and they deal with it. And we later find out that, that the Duke's family didn't just stand on there, stand there and watch it happen the way many, many rich people did. But you have to acknowledge yeah. that stuff. At least I think you do. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. Um, have you, when you're writing your novels and, and as you're doing this, what's the best piece of writing advice you've gotten and the worst piece of writing advice you've gotten? Well, my favorite piece of writing advice actually was not given directly to me, but somebody passed it on. It's the Jody Pakul comment. You can't edit a blank page. Yeah. Um, I love that. That's to, you know, sit down and get something there to deal with is just, which I think is just the, the single best thing. And probably the worst advice is 
everything that, that people who think they know what they're doing is posting on, uh, posting on randomly on social media about what agents want, because nobody really knows what it, what, what, it, what, what, and how it's going to work. You just got to go out there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yet people who may have queried for a week or got signed after their first got signed for something because they, they hit somebody's wish list right off the top of the box, think that they know everything and without having been in the trenches and trust me, it's ugly out there and you don't know. <laughs> so Well, and I'm finding with these conversations, you know, I'll talk to somebody and it looks like they had overnight success. And then you hear about the 15 years of writing novels and the, you yeah. know, seven novels and a draw and everything. Every it's a journey for everybody. It's very, very, very rare that somebody writes that first novel, it gets published and they make a million dollars. I don't even know if that happens. Um, yeah. And even if you make it over the line, um, my debut came out in April of 2020. (laughs) So nobody heard about it. Yeah, no. And that sort of thing, the pandemic books, um, and now because of the pandemic and because of the, um, uh, freighter that got stuck and all these different things, they're pipeline issues. Yeah. So, so there's not enough paper for books right now. And so yeah. some books are being delayed and I, it's, there's a lot going on. There really is. Well, and that brings us to the publishing journey because your writing journey is, is something you can control. Right. Your publishing journey isn't something you can control. Even when you self publish, you can't control whether right. or not the book's going to hit or, or anything else. Right. And you can know a lot, but, but you, you know, there's part that you just have to let go and it's the business and, and that's what it is. Um, what's, yeah. what surprised you about your publishing journey so far? Uh, coming out in April of 2020 with a debut. Um, I had somehow thought because the the 200 rejections and the three failed projects, much of this took place during a family health crisis. And by the time we get to April of 2020, my husband is healthy and everything's fine. And I think this is probably February in in like mid February of 2020. I actually had a book signing set at the Yale bookstore near my house on publishing day, which was April 29th of 2020. And I was going to have a book signing on my, my debut day, which no debut authors never get that, but I was going to, and then COVID. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still haven't signed the book in person for anybody other than a friend. So, um, the, the thing, and that, and we were all forced onto social media. And the great thing is that I made friends and I, and people helped me out and writers are really, really good, particularly mystery writers and sisters in crime, especially. And, I found a community and people helped me. And I, you know, I said, Oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, talk to this person. She'll know. And these people know join sisters in crime. There's a whole list of information here. You can find join, um, the author's guild. They actually, they do little features. Talk to them, you know, um, check this website. These people know this. And it's just been an incredibly supportive. The, the, the takeaway I have isn't so much about the publishing industry as it is about how great writers can be to each other. Yeah. The crime writing community, I think, particularly, um, and yes. is is incredibly generous and, for the most part, kind. Yes. Um, and yes. and willing to help and to promote and to do everything. Um, yes. But COVID, uh, the impact on everything is 
is has been for everybody. But I'm I'm so sorry that that happened to you. You know, you were primed to be debuting during Malice Domestic, which is your people too. I mean, it's it's just yeah, uh, yeah it's uh, I mean, we can't do anything about it, but just to acknowledge that that's hard. But your second book of that series came out recently, correct? Yes, yeah, second book came out in uh, end of April, early May. And that's, and, and that's out there and, you know, got good reviews and people that seem to be buying it. You know, I don't think as a historical mystery novelist, you're ever going to be a bestseller anyway, but people are reading it. So I'll take it, you know? Yeah. And again, it's when you're writing in genres, this is part of the business part, uh, writing historical novels, you know, you get the crime readers, you get the historical readers and, yes. and you can get both. And so you can hit a lot of different pools. I mean, it's actually a very yes. robust readership. Yeah, and, and, and Ella stands out once people know about her, they want to find out more. Yeah. So. No, it's uh, it's great. It's complicated stuff, but it's great. Um, so we talked a little bit about the detours and bumps. You, and this isn't uncommon either, for your contemporary series, which is with a different publisher, you're writing under yes, a different name. This is absolutely... Yes. Um, normal. I mean, I, I <laughs> so many people write under, and it used to be a more of a hidden secret. Now it's a very open secret. Okay, you know, here's her oh, yeah. seven names. They they had no problem with me promoing the. You know, I refer to her as my, refer to my myself as my good friend Nikki Knight. Yes, no, <laughs> um, because again, readership can bleed over, and um, yes. you mentioned Elizabeth Peters before, who is one of my absolute favorite. Um, mystery writers. Oh, yeah. Um, but she, as Barbara Michaels wrote, you know. Yes. Also wonderful stuff. Wonderful yes. stuff. And, you know, it's it's sort of the kind. And she wrote historicals and contemporaries. I mean, I could I could talk about Elizabeth Peters yes. for days. Um, but what, you know, tell us about how Nikki Knight came to be. Well, the original thing that I queried was a Vermont was called the, the Queen of the Night. Uh, you're listening to the queen of the night. It was about a DJ at a small Vermont radio station, but it was much more inspired by sort of the Stephanie Plum, you know, three guys floating around and caper stuff. It was a caper mystery. Yeah. It was, you know, uh, somebody was trying to shoot a bat and, the, and shot the Congressman instead. And there was, it's a bunch of, it was, it was, it was goofball. It was fun, but it was goofy. And it was my first try and it didn't sell. And then I went on and I got signed for Ella and during that period, I was looking for something to do while I was, um, in, you know, because publishing timelines are so long. You have that whole year before you sign, before it comes yeah. out. And I, I write every day. after something. And I thought, you know, in between the time that I wrote that first day and now, all kinds of things have happened in the world and in, in, in my, my own life and everything. And I think it would be fun to write a character who is actually a grown up with a kid. And I could use some of the stuff that I've learned in my life. Um, I've learned as a writer and learned as in my life of, of things that are much more complex than you think they are. And that's kind of what gave me the inspiration for writing a main character who is a grown-up as opposed to kind of this, this you know, um, young adult. Not really, it wasn't YA, but she was just barely adult and she had three boyfriends and all this great, you know. Not, in other words, much more, um, somebody who's much more grounded. So it's the same Vermont radio station in the middle of nowhere. And you still have to climb up on the roof to sweep out the satellite dish because that's what we did. Um, but now the main character is Jay Jordan, DJ in New York. 
until, as she puts it, her husband survived cancer, but their marriage didn't. And they moved into moved up to Vermont, and she takes over the radio station, drops satellite talk in favor of love songs at night, and so that she can and lives with her daughter Ryan, who is named for uh, her great grandmother Rena. It's Ryan's Hebrew name is the same as the grandmother's. Um, lives with Ryan over this over the station with their giant cat Neptune. And every, once a week, she goes out to check the transmitter where the farting moose lives. The Charlemagne the moose comes out and he eats, um, he, will, he likes maple candy treats. I don't know for sure if actual moose, don't nobody come after me. I don't know for sure if actual moose will eat maple candy. What I do know is that, that animals perceive sweet as safe. So it is possible. Yeah. And yes, moose really are flatulent. That I do know. <laughs> and Charlemagne has been known to make editorial comments in that way. <laughs> So, so that's kind of the setup. And then the, the talk show host that she kicked off the air ends up dead in a snowman in front of her building and the game is on. And so when does this new series come out? This one start. the first one comes out in February, February 8th of 2022. That's great. So. And then do, is there another one in the historical? The, the new historical comes out on March 29th of 2022 oh, and that one's called a fatal overture and um ella confronts some much more serious some more serious than usual issues and not to mention her, her future possibly future mother-in-law and um it this, this one's interesting because it takes something terrible in order for her to resolve things with the guy and so I can't, I don't want to give a spoiler or anything, but either Ella and the guy are going to be engaged by the end or they're, they're going to break up. And it takes a while to get there. There you go. Um, so when you started on this mystery writing journey, uh, and we talked about this a little bit, you talked about sisters in crime and community and other folks. Can we yes. just talk about yes. that? Uh, you know, what communities like and sisters in crime, obviously uh, I have a soft spot for this organization, but you know what oh, it yeah. means to find other writers um, and, and yes. how that helps. Yes. Very early on um, when I was kind of trying, when I was thrown onto social media and trying to figure things out, maybe it was, it was probably still April of 2020. Uh, somebody said, you know, contact uh, Don Barclay, Don Barr, who does the uh, author groupie podcast. Contact DM Barr. She did, that's her author name, DM Barr. And she does the author groupie podcast, and you should see if you can be on with her. Well, as it turns out, she's one of the key people in the New York Sisters in Crime chapter. And she, we talked, and we had a lovely talk. And she said, you know, you should join the New York chapter because it's a good group, and, you know, you might learn a lot and everything. And I joined and every month we have our meetings and every month some, we talk about various issues and important things in the business. And it's, but it's not just the business. It's just being in a room full of other writers, even if it's by zoom, you know, you're in a room full of other writers who are going through the same things you are. And even if you have good friends and a, and a supportive husband, they don't understand what it means when you come in and say, you know, I don't think this thing's going to sell, or I don't think, I, I don't I have no idea how I'm going to figure out this plot complication because I can't figure out how to get from here to there. And I have to, and a room full of writers does. Yeah. And it's great. Yeah. It makes such a difference. And I think sometimes people wait until they get that contract or they get, um, you know, starting to, to really move to join the organization. Yes. You should join it as soon as you even have an inkling oh, that you think you might want to be writing mysteries. 
I've actually said exactly that to several people. I'm an admin on a, on a um, cozy mystery group in on Facebook. And I've actually said to several people who are kind of asking what they should do early on that one of the first things you should do, even while you're in the writing process is, is join sisters in crime. Cause we have programs for people who are in the writing process and who are just getting started with the writing right. process. It's great. Right. And finding your community, even we think of writing as a solo yes. act, but it, it, um, it isn't, I mean, it takes, uh, <laughs> it's, it's many people. Um, so when you're, you're, I mean, you said you write every day. You've also got your your news jobs. I mean, you write a lot and you think about different. Are you always coming yes. up? To, does your day job help you ever inform? Like, do you read a story and go, oh, yeah. <laughs> let, me, yes. let yes. me file this one away? Because, yeah, I mean, usually it's usually what we see more often than not. I work in a New York newsroom. So, 90% of the time, it's either the, you know, the tragically sad, the, the literally horribly unfortunate thing that we see, or the stupid criminal, the guy who leaves his wallet at the scene of the crime. We love him. So there, are, there are Saturday mornings when we have horrible things happening on the world, and some guy left his wallet at the scene of the crime, and he makes our day. We'd pay his bail, trust me. <laughs> but um, once in a while, there's that wild story that crosses your desk, and you go, you know, I could do something with that. Yeah. And, and it does. And, and when I'm walking up to the train, cause I do some of my best, um, plotting when I'm walking from the office to the train, it's about an hour. And I will sit there thinking, okay, I could, if, you know, if Ella found that this could happen and yeah, it does. It really does. It's great. So what are you working on right now? Right now I am working on a couple of short stories and um, I write uh, short stories with, with Jay. I've only written one Ella short story, but it's in the Sisters in Crime anthology for New York, the New York Sisters in Crime anthology. I've got a couple of Jay Jordan short stories on my desk, and I'm kind of noodling about what to do with the next Jay Jordan adventure. That's great. Fingers crossed that somebody wants to buy it. That's great. <laughs> um, any book recommendations you want to make? Uh... Yes. Yes. Um, actually... Somebody did, did a posting for Robert B. Parker's birthday a couple days ago, and I dug out some old Spencer for higher novels. And so I'm reading, I'm reading or rereading, depending on whether I got a chance to see it when they first came out. I'm reading Spencer right now, mm -hmm. and for some reason, that speaks to me at the moment. That that whole sense of right and wrong, and going out there and fixing everything and making everything better. I love that. Yeah, those are. Um... You're right. Those novels, revisiting them and his relationships, um, it's, yes. there's a lot to mine there. I mean, they're 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 more, you know, there's they they stand up to a second reading. Yes, there's stuff in there. They they taught. I mean, remember, Parker has been dead for several years. Yeah. There's stuff in there that they say that we would not say now. And um, just in case any cozy readers are out there. If you have any issues at all with language, do not pick up a Parker, please. Um, there are words in there that I'm comfortable with because I hear them in the newsroom. You wouldn't be. Um, that, but, the, but, but that strong sense of right and wrong and that strong sense of respect among people who are very different is, is really something that if you can, you know, kind of glide past some of the stuff that we wouldn't be comfortable with today is very good. Yeah, it really is. Um, well, thank you so much, Kathleen, for this great conversation. And, uh, you know, thank sounds you. like you're going to have a busy 2022 in February and March. <laughs> um, so that I yes. hope everyone 
you know, masks up so that you can enjoy signing some books in person. That would be so wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.